Um, Revelation 4, verse 8 says this, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Today, as we continue on in our Advent series, Sanctus, Sanctus, I want to speak to you from the subject, Do You See What I See? Do you see what I see as we look at the holiness of God and our perspective? Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what it is that, that you are doing in this place, in this space, across both of our services today, um, online and in the house. We know that you're moving. God, we sent you right now. And so I just pray that we would not let any of the distractions, any of the things, the thought processes that we may be having right now cloud our moment to hear from your word. And so, God, we submit ourselves to the counsel of your word, not, not Jason's word, your word. Your word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Your word that holds everything together. And so, God, we worship you. We honor you. Speak to us now. We're listening. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and 12 p.m. shouted. Amen. Amen. We're all the parents in the house. Parents, come on, show hands, parents. Come on, big and tall. Be a proud parent today. Awesome. There's a lot of you in here. Where are the single, singles at? Singles at? Where are you at? Singles at? Everybody look around. Look, just look around right now. I am across the room. You get it? Like uh, over here? Over here? In the, in the nosebleed seats? <laughs> um, I, I, I tell a lot of stories about parenting, not to exclude or alienate anybody else who is not a parent in their stage of life. I've qualified that before, so another parenting story. <laughs> um, for Thanksgiving, Erica and I and the kids took off to what is becoming probably our most favorite place in the nation, and that is Idaho, Montana area. Like, we just love going. And so we went to this little place called Driggs, Idaho. It's a town of 1,900 people. It was frigid, and it looked like no one was there, Okay. And we rented a small Airbnb and we did Thanksgiving together as, as a family, just Eric and I and the three kids. And it was amazing. Like we loved it. It was the best time ever. We relaxed, we read, we watched The Mandalorian. Come on, somebody. And oh, wow. Oh. That's why some of you are still single. Um, so I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Just playing. That was a joke. <laughs> I love The Mandalorian. Uh, <laughs> so. So we, we, we did all that fun stuff. But one of the days, a couple of days, we took a drive because we love to just drive. And we were driving in this area of Idaho. And as we were driving, we, we got to this long stretch of road. And to the left of us was this big, wide open, snow-covered field. It was gorgeous. You know, like the ones that you see in postcards, the mountains were behind it. I think the Tetons were actually in the back of it. And, and we're driving and we're looking at this big, total open snowfield covered white, hadn't been touched, except Erica starts like, she's like, guys, look, look, look. And so I look and straight away I caught what it was that she was, she was looking at without even, without even blinking. And there's this little orange fox bouncing across the snowfield, snow covered field. See, you did it too. First service, aww. Kisses. Um, so, and it was, it was that. It was like, whoa, we've never seen this before. And so the only, the only footprints in this snow-covered field was this little fox that was bouncing across the field. And we were like enthralled by it. But then something happened. We had to shift our perspective in order to try to get our kids to see what it was that we were seeing. Parents, how many of you know that it's a literal impossibility to get your kids? You're like, look, they're like, where? 
where? You're like, right, right there. Where? I don't see it. You're like, you're looking at the wrong window. Like, where? And they're trying to locate this fox in the middle of this field. It's the only fox in the field. It's so hard to see. And they're looking and they're looking around. And it, like, you're literally, are you ruining this moment trying to get them to see what it is that you're seeing? I probably shouldn't have called this message, do you see what I see? I probably should have called it foxes in a field. But like, <laughs> the point is this. As I sat there in this, in this moment, I realized that one of those frustrating realities that I have as a parent is trying to get my kids to see what it is I see. But it's not just foxes in a field or socks on the floor or underwear in the bathroom or poop in the yard. Dogs, not theirs, just for <laughs> clarity. <laughs> Clarity's sake. <laughs> You're like, what kind of family are you? <laughs> I lost some service over it. Everyone's gone now. It's bigger things, right? It's, it's things like character. It's things like integrity. Um, it's things like their worth, their potential. How about this? Maybe the love that Erica and I have for them. And more importantly, the love that God has for them. It's trying to get them to see these things. And, and, and oftentimes, this journey of trying to get them to change their perspective and see things from your perspective is a difficult, is a difficult journey. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. Sight, as it were, it's so much more than what we physically see. It's about a perspective and understanding that has been developed in reference to the holiness of God. And see, so often we simply chalk up sight to the rudimentary, one-dimensional reality of physical sight. And once again, the problem in doing this is we leave ourselves stranded on the shores of a very human and a very sanitized version of life and faith. And I have found that we can see but still be very much blind. But when we venture into the space of God's holiness, all of a sudden our perspective can change or should change if we allow it to. Once again, Moses helps us understand this, this reality. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side. We shout far side far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. I want you to remember this moment, okay? I want you to remember where Moses finds himself. Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the, bursh, the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. He says, do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You see, what was at first simply seen by Moses became a sanctuary for Moses, a holy place, as his sight developed into an encounter. I want us to recognize this reality because for many of us, this is what church can be. 
Many of us came in here today and you're simply spectating, which is fine, like I get that. Trying to figure out, okay, what is this place? They, they, they jump around a lot, they're excited. Is this a concert, is it a club, is it church? <laughs> what are we doing? Are oh, the glow sticks gonna come out soon? Like, <laughs> Sight, I see it one way. But it's when perspective changes and you realize that you're on holy ground that all of a sudden your sight turns into a place that is a sanctuary. Moses was looking at a bush, but it became a holy moment. And I want us to realize that there are moments in our life where the holy place, like Erica was talking about a moment ago, it simply is going to be a place that we have to shift our perspective to see it as more. I think that's what's happening in 2020 right now. It's like a dumpster fire of a year. Come on, can we just call it what it is? That's in the Greek and Hebrew, dumpster fire. <laughs> the problem is, is that for many of us, that's what this year will be. And I just wanna encourage us in this moment at the, at the backside of 2020, at the backside of the desert, can maybe we just alter our perspective for the next couple of weeks and realize that maybe, just maybe, 2020 has actually been holy ground. It's actually been a place where God has been enabled to do a great work in us, that God has been enabled to work in ways that we would have never let him work had it been a normal year. We'll talk about that in a moment. This is why Paul would encourage us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet for many of us, we're still trying to walk by sight. What we physically see, rather than walking by a different type of sight, a faith sight, a perspective that is built solely upon the foundation of God's holiness and majesty, which begs the question, do we see what God sees? Once again, my attempt during the series is to wake up the wonder of our hearts and minds to bring us back to a, a childlike faith that is only developed in the throes of, of glorious adventure in God's vast and massive presence. I'm working my hardest last week, this week, and the, and the subsequent weeks, next week and Christmas Eve, to try to bring language to something that at the end of the day, if I'm honest with you, is difficult to bring language to. Have you ever tried to explain something, but there's just no words for it? And I feel like the church, the body of Christ, has lost that wonder. I feel like we can just come into services and it's, and it's this perfunctory motion of worship and word and hang out, have a coffee, say hi, leave, check it off. And all of a sudden, I feel like God is bringing us back to this place where he's saying, no, do you realize that this is holy ground? Do you realize this is a place where I'm asking you to see me and take off your shoes? For practicality's sake, leave your shoes on. See, we can no longer settle for simple, cerebral faith. 
We can no longer settle for faith that has been diluted with fancy lights and catchy sayings. We can no longer settle for a faith that is void of passion and presence, engagement and encounter. We can no longer settle into a faith that craves simplicity and cleanliness. We can no longer settle for a faith that sees the nativity as a beautiful ceramic figurine set instead of the gritty grounded God in the flesh moment it was. Oh, come on, somebody. God descended incarnate. He put skin on. And he walked among us. And I feel like what we're walking into is different than where we've been. And I'm not just saying for the well. I'm saying collectively for the body of Christ and the world around us. We do not need a church that sits back. We need a church that says, no, no, no. This is holy ground. I said this a couple weeks ago. We turned our sanctuaries into auditoriums. And I think we need to turn our auditoriums into burning bushes. with the power and the presence. Oh, don't get me wrong. He's in your bedroom as you pray. He's in your office. He's in your cubicle. He's in your car. Oh, but come on. How many of you know there's this glorious encounter that takes place when the brokenness of this body comes together and in complete and total vulnerability, we step back and we say, God, you move. It's his holiness. When we lose the wonder, we can no longer shout sanctus, sanctus. So the writer of Hebrews takes the life and journey of Moses and he distills it down into one sentence. Could you imagine if your life could be distilled down into one sentence? Like mine would be like, and he shouted. (laughs) Not very deep, but he raised his voice. (laughs) Hebrews 11, 27, the writer of Hebrews takes Moses' life. One sentence. And we're we're gonna examine what this one sentence means and what I, what I see in it, some observations I want, to make, I want to make. This is what he says. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger or edict, some translations would say. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Could you imagine if that was on your gravestone? Oh, Devon, he persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Rachel persevered as seeing one who is invisible. Could you imagine having that on your epitaph? So what I want to do is I want to just make some observations that I think are important for us to to understand about God's holiness and our perspective. Here's, Here's the first one. When I see his holiness, it separates. When I see his holiness, it separates. Hebrews 11, verse 27, by faith, He left Egypt behind. 
he left behind. See, the holiness of God does not allow for any other occupancy other than him and his presence. Holy ground is in fact the place where nothing else can have place or precedence. The problem is that, that we face is that we, we tend to reject separation and strive for sharing. Can I just tell you that the holiness of God sharing is not caring? God doesn't share. His space is his space. He doesn't want to share your heart. He doesn't want to share your affections. He doesn't want to share his time with you. He doesn't want to share any of those things. Why? Because he's that madly in love with you. He doesn't want anything else to take the place of where he should rightfully be. That's why he asked Moses to take off his shoes. Would you stand here with me and only me? I don't need you to have the shoes on that have been tending the sheep and doing life. I need all of you. I need your eyes. I need your ears. I need your heart. I need your mind. I need your attention. I need your body. I need your soul. Some of us don't like that though. Because we don't like to share. But yet we share. We give ourselves away to all kinds of other things. This is why God would tell Moses, stay here. See, he is not upstaged, nor does he play the supporting role. Yet, that's where we've placed him. Right? They're like, come with me. Follow me. You notice the Bible tells us, he asks us to follow him. But how many of you are like, keep up if you can, God? He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Keep up if you can. I'm all around. Oh, we get it twisted. We'll, we'll play the game. But many of us allow him to be second fiddle. Even in this Christmas season, the temptation is going to be allowing him to be upstaged by our preferences, plans, and persuasions. Like Moses, this season for most of us has been a desert season, a far side of the desert season, one where we have been wandering, one where we have lost the wonder and have wondered, where is he? And I want to just submit to us that he's at the bush that you passed by because I was distracted by all the other things. I want us to just read into the, to the moment with Moses really quick. Why did Moses have to stop and even consider looking at the bush and staying there? Is it possible, just reading between, is it possible that there was enough of his humanity working at him that he would still go about shepherding the sheep instead of stopping at the bush? Think about that for a second. Are you guys tracking with me today? Online, are you, are you with me today? Like, was there enough at work in him where he was like, oh, a bush, You see what I'm saying? Was there, was there enough going, was there enough busyness in his head? Was there enough calendaring going on in his head? Was there enough Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts at the, at the touch of his fingers to distract him from saying, oh, burning bush, wow, tweet it. 
Is it possible that we've lost our wonder because we're writing 140 characters about his presence instead of putting our phone down and falling in his presence? I don't need 140 characters about his presence. I need a soul-changing moment in his presence. And so his holiness causes separation. His holiness causes us to take things off that restrict us from stepping into what he desires for us to step into. Number two, second observation is this, is when I see his holiness, it sustains. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He was able to persevere because of the holiness of God. Now, I wanna wanna take us to another character in the Bible that we need to see the common thread with. So we're gonna move from Moses and we're gonna go to Elijah now. First Kings chapter 19, three through nine. I think Elijah was the cucumber in Veggie Tales. (laughs) Just in case some of you are like, oh yeah, him. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. That wouldn't be a statement that would normally say much to us until you understand what happened just before that. Right before that, Elijah was the man. He's the man. He had this WWF moment with these prophets named Baal, led by this woman named Jezebel. And so one day, the prophets of Baal get together with Elijah, and they have this fight, this duel, and Elijah calls, calls down heaven, destroys all these people. It was just like this, just boom, blah, boom, eh, dead, everybody, gone. <laughs> Elijah wins. God wasn't about these prophets. You would think in that moment that Elijah was the man. He had just seen a miracle. He had just seen God move. He had just seen some crazy stuff, this grand spiritual moment. Now let's read that sentence one more time. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. Can we just talk about the humanity of the people that God uses? Because I don't know about you, but many times, especially in my younger years, I'd read the Bible and be like, these guys are so perfect. They have everything together. Oh, it would be easy to judge Elijah, wouldn't it be? Like we can read this from a distance and we go, oh, I can't believe he'd be be afraid. I can't believe that he would run like that. How could a man of God be so afraid? What I've come to realize is that we have a tendency to judge in others what we ignore in ourselves. Because we've ran at times, haven't we? We become afraid and we oh, snap, and we run. So then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. That's how afraid he was. He was like, you stay here, I'm out. (laughs) Ditched his friend, right? Then it it gets deeper. He left his servant there, then he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is not metaphorical. This is not a moment where, where, where the Bible's bringing an analogy to his feelings. This is a moment where Elijah sat at a tree and said, I want, I'm done. I got nothing else. That's how fearful he was. 
He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down. This is, this is how deep his depression was. His depression was so deep, his anxiety and his fear was so crippling that he laid down and fell asleep. So when we speak to this stuff, oh, come on, we gotta realize that the church doesn't have the ability to ignore these things because some of the greatest men and women used by God struggled with stuff. And so he laid down and he went to sleep. And then suddenly, thank the Lord for suddenlies. Suddenly an angel touched him and the angel told him, get up and eat. Notice that the angel didn't tell him to get up and pray. Oh, come on. How many times have we had pet Christian recipes given to us? I feel challenging right now. I just want to, how many times, what do I do in this situation? Oh, just pray, pray, brother. Just pray just to make it today. by the great theologian M.C. Hammer. <laughs> Some of you are now just catching on. <laughs> oh, don't go chasing waterfalls, got it, okay. The angel didn't say get up and pray. The angel didn't, didn't get up and say fast, worship. What did he say? Get up and eat. Eat. Why? Because none of those other things were what was necessary for him to persevere. It was sustainability. I need to be sustained. He said, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones. That is an awesome angel. <laughs> get up and eat. I have baked for you. <laughs> So he ate and he drank and then he laid down again. Have you ever been that exhausted before? Like I said, can we just wander through the scriptures right now? Have you ever been that tired before? We felt that way. I'd say about June or July, I just wanted to lay down and sleep. I know our team's been there. I know many of you have been there. Just that, that, like that soul exhaustion. Then I read a book this year. Our team's been reading this book this year that woke me up. Like literally, night and day different. Talked a little bit about this book. It's like a book where she puts like prayers and poems at the end. And I'm not like a touchy-feely guy, so I was struggling with this book. But it wrecked my life. And I would read this at night and I would just sense the presence of God giving me something that I didn't know I needed. Wake up. I need you to eat. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat. Watch then what he says. It's right here on the screen. Or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights. Watch where he walked to. Now I want you to remember, he walked to Horeb, the mountain of God. Just as Moses would experience, so would Elijah. This place, this space where God was at. And I want to just encourage us today in this Advent season 
that you may be like me and I'm looking for the space where God is at. And he's asking us, do you see what I see? See, holiness, when I see his holiness, it'll separate, but it will sustain as well. Because Moses would experience the holiness of God and he would step into the journey of going to Pharaoh and asking to have the people let go. Elijah would step forward in the sustaining power of God's holiness and he would meet him at the mountain and God would speak to him and tell him to go back into the valley because I've got work for you to do still. And this is why I think it's important for us as a church right now to find the place and the space of God's presence and holiness because we are not done yet. You are not done yet. There's still more for us to get on with. There's more life. There's more marriage. There's more family. There's more goodness. Come on. It's not ending yet. We ain't done yet. There's still stuff for us to walk into. So you got to eat. It's the holiness of God. It'll sustain you. And I love the gentleness of God's holiness is that he will meet us at a tree in the midst of our desert of fear. And not only will he meet us, but he will minister to us. Number three, here's the third observation. When I see his holiness, it satisfies. Oh, come on, someone shout satisfies. Satisfaction. Great theologian once said, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> That's actually not true. He's <laughs> not a theologian. Said that. You know, I think that's become the anthem of, of our humanity. I can't get no satisfaction. I was perplexed the other day watching news and watching some of the stuff that's out there that in the moment that we are fighting for a lot of different things, we're also still trying to grab a hold of things that we think will satisfy us. Have you noticed that the phones have gotten more expensive? The cars have gotten more expensive. The stuff and the things have gotten more expensive. And here's what I really felt like, if I can just go out on a limb today with you in this moment, I really felt like the Spirit of God just dropped in my heart for this moment, is that what is becoming increasingly more expensive is still luring us because of the thirst that is inside of us. We're still trying to grab a hold of things that, that we believe satisfy us when at the end of the day, it's a pause, it's a moment in the holiness of God that we actually find sustenance. Oh, you think she'll sustain you. You think that she'll satisfy you. You think that he'll satisfy you. You think the promotion will satisfy you. You think, you think, you think, you think none of it satisfies this isn't me being a preacher, this is me being a human that I realized it myself as I've grabbed after things that I thought would satisfy me. <laughs> I used to think a big church would satisfy me. I was wrong. You know when I found out I was wrong? When none of you were in the room and I was preaching to a camera. And then I was like, wow, if no one's ever in the room, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you read into that statement however you want to. 
Because <laughs> I realize I'll preach the same. I'll yell at nobody and I'll yell at everybody. <laughs> Do you hear my heart today? That's what I'm, what, this is what I'm really trying to convey. We, we have a thirst inside of us. When I see his holiness, it satisfies the thirst that is in me. Oh, we don't like to admit that there's a thirst. Jesus would say to a woman at the well in John chapter four, he would say, listen, everyone who drinks from this water, speaking about himself, versus water in the well, he said, if you drink the water in the well, you'll thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Think about that. When Jesus fulfills my thirst, he also plants a well. That's a constant flow of his goodness. It, why? Because it sustains. It sustains. I got a broken sprinkler in my backyard. I haven't fixed it yet. Because um, I rather enjoy what's happening around the sprinkler. Um, there's dead grass everywhere where that sprinkler isn't reaching. But I was quite okay with the sprinkler becoming a well. And that's what it did. And I've been fascinated by what has happened around that sprinkler head. It's lush and it's green because it has everything that it needs, right? And that's the picture that we need to get from Jesus right here, is that when I'm satisfied in him, it's not just a singular drink, it's a, it's a well. Oh, and then John would pray, I pray that you prosper as your soul prospers. Are you tracking with me today, church? When I see his holiness, it, it satisfies See, satisfaction is a soul-level filling that brings us to a place of wholeness and fullness that is found by way of a holy God. And in my search, I tried to write down words this week. I was like, okay, I, wanna, I just wanna write something down that the church can grab a hold of that, that, that talks about the satisfaction. And I tried to wordsmith it. Oh, I got on about it. I was just going, and I was using the thesaurus a lot. And, <laughs> and I'd write a couple paragraphs, and then I would erase it all. And then I'd write a sentence and I would erase it all. And then I, I, I just did this back and forth, back and forth, and I just really felt like God was just like, hey, listen, can you, can you stop with your words? Just, just read them my word. I said, okay, do you have something better than I've got? <laughs> he said, yes. <laughs> so the psalmist, inspired and prompted by God, writes this about satisfaction in Jesus. Psalm 63, verses one through eight. God, you are my God, and I eagerly seek you. Watch what he says. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water, 
So I gaze on you in the where, not the auditorium, in the sanctuary, to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live, and at your name I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watch because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you and your right hand holds me. If you ever needed words that satisfy, there they are. To be satisfied in Jesus. I struggle sometimes because I know that there's some of us in here today, many of us in here across both of our services and online that are stepping foot into church for the first time. This is a foreign concept for you. When I talk about these things, it it, it doesn't necessarily compute. So what I do is I work really hard, especially in subsequent series and series before this, I work really hard to try to, to get us to understand God But in doing so, if I'm honest with you, I get a little bit nervous sometimes because I never in my desire to make it understandable want to strip him of his holiness. It'd be like this. Be like, hey, Devon, let's go buy a Ferrari. And Devon's like, absolutely. Let's go buy. So I say, Devon, come with me. So we go down, we drive downtown, and there's the Ferrari dealership. I don't even know if we have a Ferrari dealership. There might be a Ferrari in the dealership that I'm thinking about. But we get in there. But in my desire to try to help Devon assimilate what is happening right now, this gift I'm trying to give him, in my desire to do that, I say, but hold on. I need to take away the engine that's in it. We're just going to put a little four-cylinder Come on, maybe what I'm talking about. And the leather, well, it's exotic. So we're gonna replace it with cloth. Just until you grow into it. Do you guys see the picture I'm trying to paint right now? And those those beautiful rims. Take those away. And I'm gonna I'm gonna build some wood rims for it. It'll be awesome, I promise. We're in this series, Sanctus Sanctus, to do one thing and one thing only, no matter where you're at in your faith journey today, is to give you the Ferrari. <laughs> I've sat in one before. I had no idea what to do with it. I was like, this is, this is a rocket ship. This is amazing. But even the things I didn't understand didn't stop me from inside going, I would love this car. I can't afford it, ever. (laughs) You see what I'm talking about? And my prayer is this, that during this Advent season, that we would understand, not conceptually and not cerebrally, but we would understand with a spirit of faith the holiness of God. Because here's the last thing that I've come to discover about his holiness, is that when I see his holiness, it saves 
Now, I'm going to take us to Christmas. Some of you have been wondering, are we going Christmas at all, ever, during this series? Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this, But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, watch this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will save. See, it was in a bush that Moses beheld a king, and it was in a manger that we beheld a Messiah. And it's in this sanctuary today that I'm hoping to introduce you to a savior. His name is Jesus.